0: Chapter Thirteen of that affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The return of Robert Sylvester. Lady Pevensy's joy over the recovery of her necklace was so exuberant that she all but embraced Mister Clavering. Now she said ecstatically, "I feel that I can help Ursula bear her trouble with equanimity." Within two hours the bothersome jewels were on their way to the safe vault in the city, guarded by a brace of detectives and Lady Pevensey's family solicitor, who had been hastily summoned. Burton pounced upon Mr. Clavering's vague story of how he had discovered the necklace, literally tore it to shreds, and questioned and cross-questioned its author until he finally took refuge in indignant silence. Not as yet had Burton dragged from him any mention of the woman, Elena, lady ursula should have no reason to reproach him on the score of not keeping his word to her on the next day was held the funeral of the earl of portstead by lady ursula's wish it was as quiet as one as was possible in view of the tragic nature of his death and his prominence as a statesman throughout the services lady ursula bore herself with marked composure she was pale but dry-eyed elsie baring on the contrary sobbed audibly but in spite of the many mourners gathered within the grey walls of the old manor, relatives, acquaintances, and representatives of the government, there was a strange lack of personal grief. Portstead had been respected and esteemed, not loved, and Mr. Clavering felt, as others did, that Elsie Baring's sobs, the only audible sound of grief, were not for the dead man, but for the living. Many were there who asked themselves, where was Robert Sylvester?, And why did he not stand by his sister's side at this trying time? Where was he, indeed? Mr. Clavering glanced over at the inexorable Burton and sighed. He knew. When would he rout the poor boy from his refuge? Then Mr. Clavering's gaze rested on Lord Meldrum, sitting with bowed head apart from the others. How was he to save Robert from arrest, as he had assured Lady Ursula that he would? What connection, if any, had he with the death of his political opponent?" It came with a pang to Mr. Clavering that he could bear far less to know the handsome, virile, great-hearted Meldrum guilty of this awful crime than the poor weakling Robert Sylvester. In either case it would break, was breaking, Lady Ursula's heart, and Mr. Clavering, as an old friend of the family, felt deeply for her. He knew what a storm of emotions her calm exterior must hide, of a loving and passionate nature, though tempered by the cold criticism and rigid discipline of Lord Portstead under which she had of late years lived, her suffering must have been intense. And Mr. Clavering vowed to himself, as he looked at her beautiful face, beautiful in spite of its pallor and the dark shadows under the weary eyes, that he would do his utmost to prove both Robert and Meldrum, the two idols of her heart, guiltless of even a share in Portstead's death yet he had already seen enough of the inner workings of the case to realize that he was setting himself a task more or less after the fashion of Don Quixote when he rode against the windmills. The interment took place in Portstead Churchyard, where slumbered generations of bygone Sylvesters. Somewhat to Mr. Clavering's surprise, Lady Ursula requested him, instead of Lord Meldrum, to ride in the carriage with her. As the carriages approached the gates of the churchyard, there was a short halt, and Mr. Clavering, glancing back over the winding hill—Lady Ursula had not been able to endure the curtain drawn—saw distinctly the occupants of the rear carriages which a curve of the road brought in line with theirs. At the window of one of these he beheld Lord Meldrum. He was looking out over the daisied meadows to the purple crests beyond, and there was a certain grim poise to the handsome blonde head. Meldrum was riding alone. Upon the return to the manor, Harry Brooks was waiting to assist Lady Ursula from the carriage. Her fortitude was at the snapping point. Like most high-strung women, now that the hour of trial for which she had steeled herself was past, collapse was near. But the secretary said something to her in a low voice that brought back to her eyes the indomitable light of endurance. Mr. Clavering, she said, choosing to ignore the arm that Brooks, with respectful solicitude, offered her. "'I want you to come with me to Robert's room. He has returned. I shall not need you, Mr. Brooks.' The secretary bowed politely, but a shadow fell across his face. "'That is an officious young man,' panted Mr. Clavering, striving with his short legs to keep pace with Lady Ursula as she flew up the stairs. "'Shall you retain him in your service?' "'No, no,' impatiently. "'I shall dismiss him as soon as possible.' I have never liked him. Ah, Robert! Robert! She had reached her brother's room, flung wide the door, and stood regarding, with a great pity in her eyes, the dejected, boyish figure sunk in the big armchair by the window. Robert started up at her cry. A moment only she hesitated, and then, running forward, clasped him in her arms, sobbing over him. For the living brother she could weep. "'Robin! Robin!' she sobbed, using her old pet name. "'Where have you been all these days?' "'God only knows, Ursula, in hell, I think.' "'Robin, why didn't you come to me before? "'You must have known how I worried, how I needed you.' Robert raised from his sister's shoulder his pallid, seamed face. Gone from it was all youthfulness, all hope. It was the face of a man prematurely old, rended and racked by mental agony.' "'Ursula, I just couldn't. This thing has stunned me. I think I've been crazed ever since. I know I was that night.' "'That horrible night,' she shuddered, holding him close. "'And, oh, Robin, your quarrel at the country club. That is known now, and the worst constructions put upon it. But now that you have come back, you will speak and disprove—' he pushed her from him almost roughly. "'I will say nothing and disprove nothing.' "'Robert!' she cried aghast. You must speak, even if it kills me, you must. Robert caught her fiercely by the shoulders. Ursula, with a sudden show of manliness, I'm a beastly cad, and a drunkard, and every sort of a worthless devil, but you're my sister, and the only person on earth who has stuck by me, and I'll be damned if I'll speak. Then, Robert Sylvester, she cried passionately, though a great admiration shone in her eyes, I will speak. "'You shall not. I forbid it. "'If you do, I'll say that you're lying to save me. "'That it was I shot Cecil. "'Oh, they'll believe me fast enough, "'with an outburst of bitterness. "'You mean,' she demanded, "'with whiter face now than his, "'that you will swear it was you shot Cecil? "'If you open your lips to say a word about the murder, "'I will, so help me. "'And if I say nothing?' "'Then I will say nothing, too. "'But Robert,' she objected despairingly, "'They will convict you on circumstantial evidence.' "'Let them,' he answered with a reckless laugh. "'Cecil always told me I would hang some day.' Lady Ursula turned to Mr. Clavering with a piteous appeal to reason with her brother. At that juncture, Burton, followed by Lord Meldrum and Harry Brooks, entered the room without waiting to knock. "'You'll be jolly careful what you say, Ursula,' cautioned Robert, though some of his defiance gave way to fear at the sight of Burton. "'I meant what I said.' She did not reply, but cast a withering glance upon the secretary. "'So you are working in conjunction with Scotland Yard, Mr. Brooks?' He quivered under her scorn, and she turned with contempt from him to Burton. "'Well, sir, what now? You choose a strange time to torture me with fresh questions, when I have just come from my brother's new-made grave.' Burton's colour mounted, but he preserved his usual drawl as he answered, "'I did not come to question your ladyship.' but to give a welcome home to your other brother, Mr. Sylvester. Begging your ladyship's pardon, I should say, Lord Portstead, he corrected himself with obvious intent. Robert went a shade whiter at the suddenness of the new appellation, and Lady Ursula visibly trembled. She was the first to recover herself. Then, sir, she remarked to Burton, since you have performed your self-imposed duty and greeted my brother, Lord Portstead, she spoke the title without faltering, "'Perhaps you will be good enough to rid us of your presence.' Burton resented her scorn. He scowled darkly, and his jaw had more of a bulldog set to it than ever. "'Certainly, my lady. I can understand that you and Lord Portstead have a good deal to talk over, but I've got something to talk over with his lordship, too. "'Shall I see your lordship in half an hour in, say, in the library?' He shot a sharp glance at Robert as he spoke. Robert's knees shook under him. "'Not in the library!' he exclaimed with horror. Burton smiled. In the music-room, then, and he quickly withdrew. Robert, implored Lady Ursula, you will let me speak now? You must? No, he muttered, and averted his face that she might not see the effort it cost him. Robert, she declared with streaming eyes, you are the noblest, bravest, maddest boy I ever knew of. For God's sake, go away and leave me, he cried irritably. "'Do you want to have me blubbering like a baby?' He crossed swiftly to the window, his features twitching. Lady Ursula turned to Lord Meldrum, who had been gravely watching them, and said in a low, piteous tone, "'Wilford, he has sealed my lips. They will hang him unless—' "'They shall not hang him, Ursula,' responded Meldrum in a firm voice. She dropped her face in her hands with a little moan. "'It seems as though I could not bear this—' Lord Meldrum made a movement toward her, but checked himself. Dear heart, you must bear it, for Robert's sake. For mine, too, he added in a whisper. She raised her head with determination. You are right, Wilford. I must bear it, and I will. But heaven have pity on me. She burst forth into sobbing and hastily left the room. Meldrum passed his hand across his eyes, then straightened resolutely. Mr. Clavering wondered how much of all this the glowering little secretary had understood. He was not ordinarily a man of passions, but at that moment, when he saw how malignantly Brooke's eye rested on Meldrum, he would have given much to have soundly thrashed the little secretary. Robert's bravado broke down when his sister had gone. He held out a shaking hand to Meldrum. I say, Mel old chap, you'll stand by me, won't you? Lord Meldrum gripped his hand encouragingly. You can count on me, my boy. End of chapter thirteen.